Many of those who sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake, some to everlasting life and some to shame and everlasting contempt. Those who are wise shall shine like the brightness of the sky, and those who lead many to righteousness like stars forever and ever. Please pray with me. Dear God in heaven, we ask you to join us here this morning. We trust that you have kept your promise and are here with us in this place. May my words be your words and all of our thoughts your thoughts. We ask this in your son, Jesus Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Please be seated. I grew up at a very large Anglican church, so large for an Anglican church, a couple thousand people, a very large clerical staff. There were at least five or six clergy, the three most senior of whom were all named John. So pretty much what I'm getting at is that the preacher, no matter what Sunday you showed up at church, the preacher was named John. John Yates, John Burley, John Heidengren. And these men with their flowing white robes and their wisdom, all seemed completely unapproachable to me as a kid. I'm sure, in retrospect, that they were just normal guys, but to me, at that age, they were like celebrities. Now, I've been largely unsuccessful in my attempts to cultivate that vibe here at Grace Anglican Church, (laughs) but I'll keep working at it. A, A wise, unapproachable celebrity, that's the goal. But since the clergy, those regular preachers at my church all seemed so unapproachable to me, I remember that it seemed like a special treat the Sunday that my youth minister was scheduled to preach. Now, of course, we heard him speak every Sunday night at youth group, but this was the main service. It was like he'd made it to the big time, one of ours. Now, they still dressed him up in the flowing white robes, But this was a totally different thing, it seemed to me, than a regular Sunday. He was normal. He was approachable. His name was Jeff. (laughs) I remember it actually very clearly. It's, It's weird how clearly I remember it. I can remember where I was sitting in the church, down sort of low and to the right. And I remember the first things he said when he climbed up into the pulpit. I remember he said that while he'd been excited to be asked to preach that morning... He'd been less excited to discover what they wanted him to preach about. They'd gotten the youth minister up at the main service, he suspected, because none of the big three Johns wanted to talk about the topic for the morning, which was hell. We feel that, right? We don't particularly like to talk about hell. I mean, hell is something that you hear talked about by those wild-eyed guys with megaphones outside sporting events, right? Or those snake-handling preachers in the Shenandoah Valley. I think many people subconsciously think that the more someone talks about hell, the less educated they probably are, the more fundamentalist. I sometimes catch myself shaking my head as we drive up Route 65 towards Indianapolis, and we see that giant billboard that says, hell is real. Who are these people, right? Except that hell is real. 
And our hesitance to talk about it doesn't make that any less true. I chose the assigned reading from Daniel as the jumping off point for this morning's sermon, almost because my first instinct was to avoid it. After all, I'm educated. I don't handle snakes. I'm not a fundamentalist, depending on how you define that word. But you know what? Hell is real. So listen, this is Daniel chapter 12, verses 1 through 3. The Lord spoke to Daniel in a vision and said, At that time, Michael, the great prince, the protector of your people, shall arise. There shall be a time of anguish such as has never occurred since nations first came into existence. But at that time, your people shall be delivered, everyone who is found written in the book. Many of those who sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake, some to everlasting life, some to shame and everlasting contempt. Those who are wise shall shine like the brightness of the sky, and those who lead many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. Now, it's really the stuff about being written in the book and the difference between everlasting life and everlasting shame and contempt that bothers us, right? It just seems so medieval and wicked that a judgmental God would send some people to heaven and some to hell, some to everlasting joy and some to everlasting torment. It makes us uncomfortable to imagine a God who would do that. And so because we are uncomfortable, we try to domesticate our God. We protect him from what his word says about him. We waffle. We ignore. We say that it probably can't actually mean that. But in doing so, we actually lower God. We imagine that we have a God who's not quite so holy, who is not quite so just, who can sometimes tolerate sin who might sometimes look the other way. But this is not the God that we actually have. John, in his first epistle, says that our God is light and that in him there is no darkness at all. Now, this sounds like good news, and it is. Our God is pure and holy, but it cannot by itself be good news for a sinner, for the selfish, for the proud. For a sinner, the news is much worse because there is a proper recompense, a wage for sin, and it is death. Paul does not mince words in his letter to the Romans. The wages of sin is death, and all have sinned. All fall short of the glory of God. And judged on our own merits, hell, actual, literal, real hell, is our deserved destination. In Luke chapter 16, Jesus tells a story about two men, one rich and one poor. The poor man's name is Lazarus, and he sits every day outside the rich man's gate, ignored by the man inside the fine house. Now, despite their situations during their lives, when they both die, Lazarus awakens in the bosom of Abraham. 
in heaven. And the rich man finds himself in hell. Now, this rich man can somehow see across to where Lazarus and Abraham are, and he calls out. And I'm going to start reading here in verse 24 of Luke 16. Father Abraham, the man says, have mercy on me and send Lazarus to dip the end of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am in anguish in this flame. But Abraham said, child, remember that you in your lifetime received your good things and Lazarus in like manner bad things. But now he is comforted here and you are in anguish. And besides all this, between us and you, a great chasm has been fixed in order that those who would pass from here to you may not be able and none may cross from there to us. So we have heaven and hell, flames and anguish and a great uncrossable chasm. Unless we dismiss this story as merely a story and pretend to ourselves that this can't really be anything like what the afterlife is like, we must remember that there is also plenty of plain biblical teaching about the judgment seat of God, sheep separated from goats, eternal separation from God, complete with weeping and gnashing of teeth. So what can we make of these horrible things. We are fond of saying, as we should be, that God is eternal and everlasting good and comfort and peace. He is love. These are truths about his attributes, but there is a place where none of these exist, a place where sin becomes central, a place upon which God turns his back. This hell, the place where sinners would rightly spend eternity, is just as eternal and everlasting as God is. Because if God is everlasting good, comfort, and peace, then hell, separation from him, must be everlasting evil, discomfort, torment. The retired bishop of the Diocese of South Carolina, Fitzsimmons Allison, wrote that every sin is positing a different universe than the one God created. Do you follow that? Every sin is positing a different universe than the one God created. So God created the world and created us in his image. And he is, just as we've said, everlastingly, eternally good. He is holy. He is perfect. So living in any way outside of his created order, any sin, is actually a human attempt to make for ourselves a new order. One without God. Or more properly, one in which we are gods. Thus, it makes all the sense in the world that there be just such a place where sinners might spend their eternity. A place where they can be their own God forever. But this, absent the actual God, cannot be a place of comfort because the God of comfort is not there. It cannot be a place of love 
the God of love is not there. There cannot be a place of peace. The God of peace is not there. This place where you are your own God forever is hell. King David, hundreds of years before the birth of Jesus Christ, gets at this idea while lamenting his sin with Bathsheba. Remember, he lusts after a married woman and then has her husband killed so that he can have her as his own. And when he's confronted by the prophet of God, he confesses. And then as he begs for mercy, he writes Psalm 51. And here's part of what he says. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love. According to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. Against you, you only, have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight, so that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. Against you only have I sinned. So David here acknowledges what Fitz Allison claimed, that every sin is a sin against God. Every sin, like that first sin of Adam and Eve, is an attempt to put ourselves on the throne. Every sin, therefore, is liable to hell. And it's liable to actual hell. Literal hell. Real hell with agonizing fire in which you'd beg for someone to wet the tip of their finger to cool your tongue. A real hell that exists forever. A hell where you are your own God, living eternally, gnashing your teeth in continuous rebellion against the God who made you. Notice that the rich man in Luke 16 doesn't actually ask to get out of hell. He just wants to be made a little more comfortable. He's suffering, he's tormented, but he doesn't want God He's just where he wants to be, on the throne, as his own God. And it's terrible, forever. Now listen, this has been a little dark so far. Um, I don't say all of this to scare you, but this is actually scary stuff. Sin is not something to be trifled with. The consequences are literally eternal. Hell is real. But you know, that billboard on 65 has another side. The side you see as you're headed north toward Indianapolis does just say, hell is real. Big white words on a black field. But on the other side, when you're headed south, it has big black words on a white field. The exact opposite. And on that side, the words say, Jesus is real. And he is. Jesus is real. His life lived for you. His death died for you. And his resurrection accomplished for you. All of this is real too. The wages of sin is death. Yes, but Paul's not finished. He has good news. For the wages of sin is death, but 
The free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Romans chapter 6, verse 23. I said before that I didn't say any of this stuff about hell to scare you because you don't need to be scared. I'll just say to you what the apostles say to all of us. Repent and believe. Believe that Jesus Christ came to earth on a rescue mission for you to be born and to face every temptation that you face, but to come away without sin, to live the perfect life that you are failing to live and to go to the cross in submission to a death that you deserve to die. To have, in that climactic moment, his father turn his back on him as all the sin of the world, your sin and mine came crashing down onto his shoulders. To rise again, defeating death forever and ratifying his victory, and then to ascend to the right hand of the Father, to rule at his side, and to advocate for you before the throne of Almighty God. Jesus has accomplished all of this for you. Repent of your sin. And believe these things and you will live forever in peace and comfort in the bosom of Abraham. And if you've never heard any of this before, but want Jesus to stand in your place before the holiness of God, repent today and believe. If you already believe every word I've said, repent and believe again. Say the creed with us here in just a minute. Believe it for the first time today or use the words once again to reaffirm your faith. Dine with us at the Lord's table. Consume Christ's body and blood broken and shed for you. Feast on him for the first time or fill your senses again with his grace and mercy. Spend eternity with God. You, Lazarus, me and all the other saints who have believed. Not because we didn't sin, but because Christ bore our sin for us. Not because we don't deserve hell, but because Christ has made us righteous. As the Lord said to his servant, Daniel, those who are wise, in other words, those who rely on the righteousness of Jesus Christ, shall shine like the brightness of the sky. Those who lead many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. Thanks be to God. Amen. Amen.